What is going on? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. How are you doing out there? We appreciate you listening. You're gonna enjoy this conversation, or at least I think you are. I was pumped up to talk with a very smart entrepreneur who knows a thing or two about marketing, Fatima Zaidi, who is the co-founder at Quill and co-host. She came on the program. We had a conversation about how podcasting is your next demand gen secret weapon. That doesn't really feel like it goes together, huh? You got this brand-oriented activity like podcasting. You've got demand gen, driving pipeline. How do those things go together? Well, Fatima dropped some knowledge on this episode to get you all to think a little bit differently. And that's what we like to do here on Modern Day Marketer. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. Most importantly, tell a marketing friend you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. Today is a little bit of podcasting inception. We are going to be talking about podcasting while we're podcasting. These are some of the times my favorite conversations. Today's topic, podcasting is your next demand gen secret weapon. I'm joined by Fatima Zaidi, who is the founder and CEO at Quill and co-host. I've had a blast catching up with her and I think you're going to learn a ton from this one. I know I am, but without further ado, Fatima, welcome. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on the show, Brad. I'm doing well. It's uh, great to see you again and looking forward to our continued partnership with The Juice, which has been amazing so far. We like to hear that. I want to first make sure that anyone in the audience who doesn't know maybe who you are or Quill and co-host, maybe uh, share all of that because I know you have had a fun story building these businesses inside the podcasting world. So maybe give the skinny on you and the businesses that you're building. Yeah, absolutely. So Quill is a full service production agency where we work with Fortune 500 brands to create their podcasts, their branded content. We are one of three agencies that specialize in both podcast production as well as audience growth. So half of our job is to create a high quality production and the other half is to make sure that we guarantee you an audience of listeners. We also own Co-Host, which is a podcast hosting product, which gives the brands that we're working with as well as external brands who are podcasting, uh, any data that they may need associated to their show. So things like age, gender, demographic, household income of their podcast listeners, where are they coming in from, what companies are listening to their show so that they can use that for sales and lead generation. Think of us as the Google Analytics of podcasting. I love it. And I would imagine some of that data conversation will, our data topic will be a part of this conversation because when I I have transformed. I'm on the other side of that. I think about podcasting from a demand gen perspective, but I know that wasn't always the case from the beginning. And I would imagine many marketers who are out there starting a podcast might think about its application in other ways. So I'm excited to get into it. Before we get into it, I don't know about you, but anytime I turn on LinkedIn, check my feed, uh, look on YouTube, whatever, there's a new brand that is creating a new podcast. And it's just like podcast mania. They're everywhere, especially on the juice too. I see new podcasts every day. So maybe like discuss just in your seat, just in working with brands on podcasts every day, discuss a little bit of just about the proliferation of podcasts and B2B marketing, because it hasn't always been this way, but it seems like over the last couple of years, it's exploded. 
It has exploded if you look at the growth trajectory over the last few years. But one myth I, I feel like I always want to debunk whenever I'm having these conversations is that podcasting is a saturated space or there's too many shows out there. There's two, 2.5 million podcasts out there and only 18% of them are active. So mm. to make the math easier, let's say there's half a million podcasts out there. When you're looking at other content mediums, there's 1.5 billion websites, 600 plus million blogs, 30 plus million YouTube channels, and 500 hours hours of content being uploaded every minute. So actually in comparison to these other channels that are utilized every day for content creation and consumption, we're very early in the hype cycle. So yes, the growth has been pretty exponential over the last few years, especially since Sarah Canning launched Serial in 2014 and made Mm. podcasting a household name. I will say podcasting is still very much a new category and new medium, and even more so for brands who are using it as a channel to reach their audiences and build a better relationship with their stakeholders who are very early in the hype cycle. I love how you just called out all of those stats and just debunked some myths that are currently out there. One of the things that resonated with me as you were saying that is that you know, there's all of these podcasts that have been created or exist, but in all likelihood, like not many of them make it. So podcasts become stagnant. They creators quit making it. They leave jobs. Number of reasons. It's really hard to stay consistent with a podcast or maybe not hard, but we just don't see it too often. And those that are consistent eventually grow audiences. Maybe talk a little bit about just like the failure of podcasts, because I think that's one of the reasons why B2B marketers struggle to get stakeholders to rally around the investment, whether it's time, uh, money, you know, resources. Talk a little bit about just like why do these podcasts fail? Yeah, I think a lot of people will launch podcasts thinking that it's easy or that anybody can do it. And it's very much, you know, a marathon, not a sprint. So if you're looking for a vanity project or instant gratification, it's just not going to yield results overnight, similar to building a business, a brand, or your personal brand. It takes time to see the snowball efforts. Generally speaking, I would say if you're a brand that's figured out your video strategy, your newsletter, your social channels, then a podcast might be the next natural step, especially if you already have an audience. If you get it right, you'll never find audiences more engaged than podcast listeners. But I think the challenge is that people don't realize that you actually have to spend time, resources, effort, and capital to make it a successful show. The existence of your show is not news, similar to PR, where the existence of your company is not news. And so you're not just going to have an audience overnight because you've launched a podcast. You really have to spend time resources to market your show and make sure that you're working on discoverability component, which I think is a step that is often overlooked by brands who are podcasting. Maybe uh, we dive into that a little deeper, just the discoverability of it all. I think when I started my podcasting journey, that's not something that I was considering. And I'm not sure I expect I hit publish on the first episode, you know, there were going to be people lining up to listen, especially working at a business that have a product yet that was starting with a podcast, but maybe talk a little bit about the importance of the disability and how you're thinking about that or how you coach your client on that. So in terms of discoverability, we actually won't take on clients who aren't willing to invest a little bit of uh, money into ad spend so that we can do organic, but as well as paid tactics to, to reach our qualified audiences. So for example, we do a lot of growth marketing and ads on the listening platforms like Spotify, so we can acquire listeners who are listening to similar content. We'll do custom hosted ads on other podcasts. 
We will do banner ads on publications where we feel like your audience might be living like Forbes, Financial Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal will acquire um, content consumers that way. And then, of course, we apply for podcast awards, Apple's placement form for new and noteworthy. But we have a whole team dedicated to essentially drawing in your audience. And I would say that's arguably half of the work. And so it's not necessarily that you have to work with a production agency or a marketing team, but you have to dedicate resources in-house, making sure you're doing more than just the bare minimum. And another myth I would like to debunk is that having social media channels, doing a bit of PR or social advertising like Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads will actually convert to podcast listeners. Those are separate content channels and they don't actually drive consumers to your show. You really need to focus on the podcast specific tactics, the industry specific tactics in order to move the needle. So I'm, I'm, my mind is already opening up to opportunities, especially with this show, just based on what you just said, maybe like, let's dive into just like the the content for podcasting. I think the podcasts that I listen to, and I would imagine a majority of the li- others listen to go to those podcasts for a reason. They're different, whether it's the hosts, the topics, the, just what's being uh, produced on a regular basis stands out. And I think through my observations, a lot of what I see on, you know, social channels from, you know, a marketing perspective when it comes to podcasts is kind of the same stuff over the same guests, same types of topics. I'm curious just uh, on on your end, when you're bringing someone in new that is trying to, you know, spin up a new podcast, like what are some of the advice advice that you give them in order to, you know, differentiate so that what they're spending all this time doing helps them stand out uh, amongst the rest of other competition in their space? So one of my favorite things about Grounded Podcasts is that you are only reaching people who are interested in your content. Only those who are seeking out your content are listening to your show. So your audience, no matter how big or how small, is highly relevant to be interacting with your brand and your brand's podcast. So I feel like just on that note alone, like the engagement metrics, the fact that you're reaching a global audience and such an intimate audience, it's a really personal way of building a relationship with your stakeholders. We use these you know, brands all day long, Amazon, McDonald's, Microsoft, Salesforce, but we don't really have an emotional connection to them. They're just these large companies that we know exist and we know about their products or services, but it's not a very humanized process where podcasting can really change things. And you can really, you know, share your stories behind closed doors and and what's happening. One of the um, examples that I always use is that our household purchases a lot of ice cream. We're like big ice cream consumers. And back in the day, we used to purchase really anything that the grocery store that was on sale or uh, whatever we felt like having, having, but we weren't loyal to a particular brand until we listened to Ben and Jerry's podcast on how I built this. It was their episode with the two founders and they talked about the incredible social activism work that they're doing at the organization and we would have never known and because of that episode and then content that we started following after we listened to their podcast we realized that we wanted to exclusively support their brand and now we exclusively purchase Ben and Jerry's ice cream and nothing else and that's just one of million examples that I can share of like Having a podcast can really humanize the process. And of course, having content, the content is key. Like you need to be educating, inspiring, innovating. It's a very transactional effort. You're essentially asking for 30 minutes of someone's dedicated time 
And in return, they're asking to be inspired, educated, or entertained in some way. And so when you're really thinking about how you're going to share your brand story, the uh, opportunities to get creative, it's like no other marketing medium that sort of allows for that. It's funny you bring up the Ben and Jerry's example. I would consider my wife uh, somewhat of an environmentalist <laughs> in a way. And we typically have a some Ben and Jerry's cookies and cream in the freezer. And the reason why are <laughs> similar to the reason yeah. that you just stated. So that is powerful and it does matter. And I love the opportunity podcasts can give marketers to kind of share that cause or that story. I want to get into the kind of the demand gen of it all, um, kind of why we're here. You know, the, the investment from up to, for marketers to spin up a podcast, like, it can be great. It also can be small, but at the end of the day, it's going to you know take some resources and take some time. And I think it's always trying to get over that hurdle where you have decision makers who are asking the marketers like, well, how is this going to create pipeline for, for us? How is it going to do it as soon as possible? So I'm curious on your end, I'm sure this is something that you deal with a lot just in terms of your own clients or people who are looking to come in and start a podcast. Maybe talk a little bit about just steps to position podcasts to important internal stakeholders as a strategy that is not just like the marketers sitting up sharing their point of view, but can be that, but, and also something that creates meaningful pipeline for your sales Mm -hmm. team. Well, firstly, you shouldn't be thinking of it as an isolated podcast. You should be thinking about ways you can repurpose your podcast and content for other marketing channels. So it's a 360 marketing strategy rather than just a podcast that you're creating. So we always tell our clients you should be converting the SEO format transcripts that we provide to you um, into blogs for accessibility and SEO purposes. You should be taking your full-length audio episodes and putting them on YouTube as a YouTube series with audiograms. You should be converting maybe some of the uh, video content that you capture into bite-sized content for social like TikTok and Instagram. It's not just about, you know, let's, let's get together and record an episode every two weeks and that's it. It lives in isolation on Spotify, Apple, and Google, but no, like you should be repurposing all of that content to reach different channels. So that's one way that I feel like it makes it a little bit more palatable in terms of the ROI of cost. The other thing I would mention is it's all about the data and analytics and how you're using it. And that's one of the reasons that we built Co-Host. We, back in the day, all really, you could, you know, when you're using platforms like some of the indie content related platforms, you are really just getting access to how many downloads, how many listeners, but that's not going to move the needle in terms of your sales and lead generation. We were really tired of hearing that podcasting is a brand awareness tactic and that's it because it's really hard to measure intangible concepts like podcasting, brand awareness, engagement, and PR. It's a very tenuous kind of ROI. So we started reporting on metrics on co-hosts, like what companies are listening to your podcast. Can we narrow down to three LinkedIn profiles so that you can export these lists and add them to your CRM tool? So A, you can see how many accounts you're trying to reach out to are actively engaged with your podcast, and B, How many companies are listening to your podcast that aren't an MQL in your CRM tool that you can proactively reach out to? So what we're trying to do is become the lead feeder Zoom info of podcasting along with the additional stats and data around who your listeners are so that you can now move away from podcasting as a brand awareness tactic, but no, these are some quantitative KPIs on how it can impact your bottom line as well as your sales funnel. So we have these moments when we're listening to people talk on podcasts, whether we're driving or we're walking, or it's just like, we have to pull over the car or we have to stop. And it's like, 
as I was putting myself in the shoes of the listener, as you were describing that, and it was like one of those hold the phone moments, because I think many people who are doing podcasting have never really thought about, wait a minute, like this can actually support our demand gen efforts and our account-based marketing efforts. And there's visibility into data of the dream accounts that our sales team is going after. And we know just in terms of how buyers buy these days, likely when a salesperson reaches out to their future customer or prospect, it's going to take several touches. But it's nice to know that that individual might be investigating or researching your brand. And one of the ways they do that is by listening to the podcast to see if there's a similar ethos, that there's values that are shared. So maybe talk a little bit more about like how podcasting can support like those demand gen efforts, how you're thinking about it with Quill and co-host. Would love for you to dive in a little bit deeper there. Absolutely. I mean, we're we're proactively utilizing this data for ourselves, for our own clients, and we know that it works. It's, you know, reaching out to your podcast listeners and building a better relationship with them is one thing, but then actually utilizing it for lead generation and sales is, is amazing to see because especially if you're a B2B podcast, getting a list of all the companies that are listening to your show. We also give you additional data, like what industries, what revenue size, how many employees coming in from that company particularly are listening, what locations are they based in? And then of course, like I mentioned, age, gender, household income, occupation, what channels and platforms are they listening on and coming through? All of those sort of paint a very clear sales picture for us on, okay, how can we utilize this content medium as a growth marketing or growth sales opportunity? What our clients are doing is they're exporting all of this data and handing it over to two teams. One is marketing, so they can utilize it to see if any of these companies should be a guest on their show. Should any of these companies, could they potentially be content collaborators? Could they be doing a blog piece or profiling them in any other way? And then or some sort of a campaign with their employees. And then the sales teams were actually utilizing it to do very customized and personalized outreach. And it's no longer cold outreach because they know your company. They're listening to your content. They already know you. They have a one-sided influencer relationship with you. So to us, you know, we utilize tools at Quill like uh, Zoom Info. And it's, you know, what we do with Zoom Info is we take all of the traffic for our website. We reach out to companies that are technically visiting our page for podcast services. They already know us. They've already been on our website. They've already engaged with our content. We are just adding one step to that entire sales funnel process, which is proactively reaching out to them to schedule a call and see if we can support their podcasting journey. This is literally what we are doing for podcasting. So it's no longer just a conversation that you're having with somebody, but now how can you intentionally apply that to your business strategy? What I love so much about this and like so much resonated with me just to, and I want the listeners to understand just like the power that hosting a podcast and having data can do for your brand and for your sales team's pipeline. Um, One of the things that, you know, we uh, monitor and look a lot on is just the newsletter that accompanies this podcast and then activity that's happening on the juice. Well, if we start to see the similar brand that is engaging in these content streams, we proactively reach out to those people and say, hey, 
would would love to have you on the show. I see on LinkedIn you're talking about topics X, Y, and Z. Our audience would love to learn more about that. Nine times out of 10, that individual is not only responding, but they're saying, hey, when can we talk about it? And that's just a great way to build and nurture a relationship as opposed to saying, hey, jump on this demo so we can show you all the shiny bells and whistles that our product can help you out with. Totally. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's it's not about the bells and whistles. It's simply about when you justify the creation of new production budgets or even justify the time that it takes to frequently create good content, you need to think about ways that it's actually going to benefit your business strategy in the long haul rather than just brand awareness and engagement. And what does that tenuous ROI look like? And we're typically competing with budgets and time from other marketing channels like digital marketing, where for social ads, where every dollar you put in, you can see exactly how it comes back to your bottom line. For a long time, podcasting couldn't compete with those budgets because we couldn't demonstrate the same return on investment. And that's now what we're trying to do. You talked a little bit about this. Uh, you alluded to it earlier, but just talking about ROI and the measurement of ROI. And I know it it varies by customer use case, but just like, I'm sure that is something that comes up when uh-huh. someone's working with you. Talk a little bit about just like the measurement of ROI and then how can we tell if what we're doing and all this energy we're putting towards our podcast is actually working. I find that our industry doesn't really put in a lot of emphasis on engagement metrics, things like listing time, average consumption rate, how much of your show are people listening to, and are very bogged down by the number of total listeners and downloads that we have rather than, well, how engaged is the community and are they listening all the way through to the end? I think brands are in a really unique position because they can use listing time as an engagement metric and then use that information to calculate their cost per minute of human attention. And what you'll find is that podcasting is arguably a much more sustainable strategy and can capture your attention far longer than a video can. 94% of people who start a podcast episode end up listening to the entire 30-minute episode, whereas a 30-minute video only has a 12% completion rate. And I get asked all the time why the disparity in those two stats. And it's clear to me, you can be driving to work and listening to a podcast, but you can't be watching a Netflix show. You can be walking your dog and listening to a podcast, but you can't be scrolling through a blog. It's one of the few channels that you can be actively engaged in another activity and it increases engagement. Arguably, I will say that podcasts is likely a much more sustainable strategy over the long term that can give you a lot more exposure than let's say a one minute TV ad. So for me, the metrics that are important or any data I consider to be good data is anything that can help you evaluate your podcast return on investment. So those are things like the demographic information of your listeners. Where are they coming in from? What companies are listening to your show? Are they listening all the way through to the end? What are the drop-off points? What is your retention? Loyal listeners. I don't really care about number of of listeners and and downloads. I mean, that's not really a metric that I focus on. I I want anyone who is considering a podcast or have struggled, I want you to play back the section about attention to your boss or your boss's boss and go talk to Fatima because all of that is the stuff that actually matters and can help you level up your business, your brand, and get people who are engaging with your brand the right way to talk to your sales team. I absolutely love that. I want to maybe kind of round the corner of this conversation and talk about maybe some examples, painting the picture for our listeners of just brands 
who have you seen using podcasting uh, effectively, just both on the brand and demand side? Yeah, and I will give you a ton of examples of, of companies that I think are doing it really well. None of them are going to be quote customers, um, so we'll try to take the bias out of it. I love McAfee's podcast. It's called Hackable. It's a cybersecurity show. And one of the reasons I love this podcast is because they have done a really good job of promoting their products and services in a way that is not salesy and doesn't sound like a promotional piece. They've worked it really smartly into the content of their show and position themselves as thought leaders and subject matter experts in the cybersecurity space. And I think it's a really interesting case study of how a brand should be creating content not to promote themselves, but to provide value and resourcing. Uh, Another show I love is Sephora's podcast. It's called Lip Stories. One of the reasons I love this show so much is because it every episode is a, an episode that covers a new story of female pioneers doing groundbreaking work in their respective industries. And it's named after the Sephora Lip Stories lipstick brand, where every lipstick is named after a female pioneer. And the reason I love this show so much, other than the fact that it's a brilliant production, is that they are really focused on inclusivity and representation in the podcasting industry, which historically, if you look at, we have a very long way to go in terms of inclusivity and promoting stories from marginalized communities. And so Sephora has really taken the lead on that. Generally speaking, when we work on a client show, we try to think of how can this podcast be the first, the best, or different? It needs to fall into one of those categories. And both of these shows that I love, I generally find are either the best, the first, or different. And, you know, lots of other shows out there. Pacific Content is an agency that I absolutely love, and they create some really high-quality shows. And so any of those I would recommend listening to. I've got a list of shows to check out. Before we let you get out of here, you've shared a lot of nuggets. I have learned a lot, but maybe like what is the one piece that you'd leave marketers with who are thinking about getting started on the podcasting journey? So it's just a a quick reminder that, you know, technology and new categories and trends is something to be embraced rather than being afraid because it's it's such a new category and the risk of being left behind. In the 1980s, your business had a phone number. In the 1990s, it was a website. In the 2000s, it was social. And the next five to 10 years is the wave of audio. And just like in 2007, you were the first person on Twitter. By default, you're an influencer today. It's no different with podcasting. If you are podcasting today and you think of it as a marathon and not a sprint, by default, in the next five to 10 years, you will be a podcast influencer. Such a fun conversation. Fatima, thanks so much for uh, jumping on. Go check out Quill and co-host for all your podcasting needs. We will have to do this again soon. Yes, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Brett, and uh, really looking forward to all the work that Juice is doing. Enjoyed that conversation with Fatima. I left it with so many thoughts and ideas. Uh, She is someone who I'd love to have back on the show. There's so much we can get into, so much ground that we can cover. Love where her head is at. You all take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We will be back with more Modern Day Marketer on the other side.